Philippians chapter 1. It's good to see everybody here this morning. Glad you braved the rain through the chilly weather to make it out to church today. Philippians chapter 1. We've not been in Philippians for a while, and so I will like to start in verse 1 again and just uh, revisit that passage, and then we'll work down, and we really want to focus starting in verse 12, but uh, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So the author, the Apostle Paul, some have said the greatest missionary of the Christian church, writing to the church at Philippi, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So the Apostle Paul telling these Philippian believers that he's very thankful for them. Verse 4, as in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. He's very thankful for them, and he prays for them with happiness. It's a delight to pray for this church. Verse 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. He's very thankful that they are fellow believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that they have partnered together to advance the gospel throughout the known world. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you remember, we spent some time parked on verse 6. Very encouraging. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can be confident that Jesus has begun a good work in you. And uh, we talked about the fact it is a good work, Jesus in you, working to make you into a good, a, a masterpiece, to use you for good works in this world. We noted that it was also a guaranteed work. Jesus Christ doesn't fail. He will complete it. But we did note also that it is a gradual work. He has begun it, but it won't be completed. It won't be performed until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a future day coming. And so... While we long to be free from our sin, uh, we still deal with that sin nature, that, that flesh principle in our being. And so I just encourage you, if you're struggling with sin, don't lose heart. Jesus is still at work in that gradual work. The more that you will yield to him, the more he will give you victory over sin. Verse 7, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. It's very fitting for the Apostle Paul to think, to say, I see a good work happening in you, Philippian believers, because they have stood with him in the defense, in the confirmation, in the advance of the gospel. In fact, if you remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this book as a thank you for a gift that they have sent to him. And he's, he's saying, I, I see that you are helping me advance the gospel. I see this good work in your lives. Verse 8, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. We talked about how the phrase bowels of Jesus Christ, that, that's referring to, I love you with all my heart. I love you with great affection. Verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, 
The Apostle Paul has seen the Philippians pour out love toward him through this gift. He prays that their love would abound even more and more, but that their love would also be guided by godly knowledge and godly discernment. Verse 9. And when their life is guided by love, godly love, verse 10, it says that ye may approve things that are excellent. When you're guided by godly love, you'll know what decisions to make in life. It will be a compass to you. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. When you're guided by godly love, you will have a pure motive. You will act out of pure love. You will act, and people won't look at you saying you're a hypocrite. You're, you're doing this because you're trying to get something from me. You'll be sincere and without offense. People won't be able to point at you and say, you are a bad person. You, you have done something wrong. Because you're guided by godly love, you will do what is right. You'll be without offense. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. And so when you come to Jesus Christ and you accept him as Savior, you acknowledge your, your sin, your need for him to help you overcome your sin, and he begins to do a good work in you, he enters into a, you enter into a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And he begins to give you the capacity to do that which is truly righteous, that which is truly good. Because in our own nature, we do not have the capacity to do anything that is righteous, that earns us merit in the sight of God. It's only by Jesus Christ. But when we enter into that relationship with him, we are then able to bear the fruits of righteousness. And that is God at work in our lives. What an incredible thought. That's verses 1 through 11. We'd like to look now at verses 12 down to verse 30. But before we do that, let's take a moment and pray and ask God to meet with us, His Spirit to speak to us in a special way. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for the opportunity to come to church and to hear Your Word. And Father, as we look into Your Word, I pray You would help everyone in this room to realize that we are when we open the Bible, we open the mind of God. This is you speaking to us right now. And I pray, God, we would listen. Let him that has ears to hear, let him hear. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 12, continuing on here, the Apostle Paul is going to change Directions a little bit. Notice the word but. That's uh, telling us there's a change of direction in the conversation. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. So he wants the Philippians to understand something, to know something. What is it? The things which happened unto me, that's referring to his imprisonment. Remember, the Apostle Paul, was, he was arrested in Jerusalem. He was taken to Caesarea. He, he sat imprisoned in Caesarea. And then finally, he was sent to Rome to stand before Caesar at Caesar's judgment seat. And so the things that have happened unto him, his imprisonment, this long ordeal, 
months and months and months, years of imprisonment, sent from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. Notice, he says, these things which happened unto me have fallen out, the result of my imprisonment, rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Wait a minute. His imprisonment has led to the advance of the gospel? Wait, wait, what? Paul being put into prison, his freedom being restricted, has led to the advance of the gospel? Verse 13, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. You know, as the Apostle Paul sat in Rome, Roman guards guarding over him, possibly 24-7, but he's being guarded. He, he has a chain. He's chained to a, a guard at times. He's under house arrest. He's, he's confined. The Apostle Paul is witnessing to those Roman soldiers. He's telling them, hey, do you know what happened to me on the road to Damascus? I saw Jesus. Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again. And if you'll trust him, you can have eternal life. Those Roman soldiers went back to the barracks. They said, hey, guess what? I had a weird experience today. I sat next to this guy from Jerusalem, this Jew. He told me he, he saw this shining light. He saw Jesus. And one by one, as the Roman soldiers sit down next to Paul and he witnesses to them, one by one as they go back to their barracks, one by one as they go to the marketplace and they, they spread this news about this, this Jew sitting in prison, inadvertently they're sharing the gospel of Jesus. The Apostle Paul received visitors. We know that from the book of Acts. He received visitors in his, his arrested state. He was sharing the gospel. He was, he was trying to convince those visitors. They need to trust Jesus. So even in his bonds, the Apostle Paul is advancing the gospel. If you looked over at Colossians, Ephesians, the Apostle Paul prays. These are prison epistles. He asks his fellow believers in these other places to pray that God would give him utterance, opportunity to speak the gospel. Why? Because he needs an outlet. He needs people to come to him. He needs, he's imprisoned. But he takes advantage of those opportunities that God brings to him. So that all the palace, we know that some of Caesar's household became believers. We know that from, I believe it's Paul's writings, he, he mentions Caesar's household that be of the faith. And so this man in prison, his testimony spreads throughout the soldiers. It spreads throughout the palace. It says in verse 13, in all other places. It's not confined just to the palace. It's not confined just to the barracks. Who knows how many people throughout Rome actually heard the testimony of the Apostle Paul and thereby heard the gospel message. A man sitting in prison reaching countless people with his testimony. 
advancing the gospel. So here the Apostle Paul is advancing the gospel in person through his, his testimony as he sits in prison. How good is God? And how committed was the Apostle Paul that he would not even let imprisonment stifle his witness? But notice God is going to add even to his advancing personally. Verse 14 says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Church of Philippi. He's, he's writing to update them on, on the current state of the gospel ministry in Rome. And so verse 14 is probably referring to the brethren at the church in Rome. Many of the believers in Rome, they have seen the Apostle Paul's testimony, his zeal for the gospel, even though he's in prison. And they see that, that he is not letting this stop him. They are much more bold themselves to speak the word without fear. It says, many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident, growing confident in my bonds. They say, hey, if the Apostle Paul can preach even though he's in prison, if he's willing to remain in prison, if he's willing to potentially die for the gospel, we will speak the word without fear. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. You know, some of the believers in Rome may not have taken kindly to the Apostle Paul coming in and, and seemingly stealing the show, so to speak. Who is this guy coming in thinking that he's such big britches? I mean, he's got this, now he's got this great ministry. He's, people are talking about the Apostle Paul all throughout Rome. People know about this guy, Paul, Paul, Paul. Everything's Paul, Paul, Paul. And in a somewhat of a spirit of, of envy, jealousy, they are motivated to preach the gospel because they want to steal away some of that attraction from Paul. They hey, stop, stop focusing on Paul so much. Some people of goodwill, they say, no, we love the apostle Paul. We love the gospel. We're going to share the gospel. Verse 16, the, the one preached Christ of contention, divisively, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So there's two, two crowds, so to speak, in the Roman church. One sharing the gospel a little bit begrudgingly, the other freely Standing with Paul for the defense of the gospel. We are with Paul. We want to advance the gospel with Paul. What is Paul's response? Verse 18, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, I will rejoice. The Apostle Paul said, look, I don't care who gets the credit. I don't Hey, I am rejoicing that the gospel is being preached. It's interesting because as you look at Philippians, the book itself is very much focused on unity. Get to chapter 4, he specifically calls out two people in particular and says that they need to work together. 
It's interesting how the Holy Spirit moved Paul to, to write these words. He himself is illustrating to the church the need for unity, the importance of unity. It's not about personal popularity. It's about advancing the gospel, working together to advance the gospel. You know, there's a, an old graffiti in Rome. It was found in one of the guard rooms. The picture is a picture of a man on a cross, but he's been depicted with the head of a donkey. A man standing by the cross with an upraised hand worships at the cross. It's a picture of Christ being worshipped by an individual, but it's mocking Christ because they've given him a head of a donkey. In ancient times, the, crucif- the cross, crucifixion, was only for the worst criminals. So to say that your Savior was crucified would be totally uh, unbecoming to the Greek mind of the day. Uh, we see that in 1 Corinthians, that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jew, and it's an offense. It's, it's foolishness to the Greek. Why would anyone crucified be worth worshiping in the Greek mind? And so apparently a Roman soldier, maybe one of those soldiers that had sat by the Apostle Paul, heard his testimony, mockingly inscribes this picture on that guard room wall. Underneath the picture is the inscription, Alex Menas worships his God potentially maybe mocking one of the Roman soldiers that sat by Paul, but believed in Jesus. Alex Menas, ha, you're an idiot for worshiping this guy named Christ. But you know, maybe the Apostle Paul's response to that graffiti, everyone who walks by that graffiti those Roman soldiers, they're going to ask, what is that? Who is that? And when that graffiti was explained, the gospel message was imparted to that individual. So God is using even a contentious witness potentially even using mocking Roman soldiers so that others would hear the gospel. Here a man, the Apostle Paul, sits in prison and he personally is advancing the gospel to the people that come to his prison cell, his guard room. And by in proxy, by his testimony, going out to fellow believers, emboldening them to step up and share the gospel themselves, even potentially using unbelieving Roman soldiers. God is advancing the gospel through the Apostle Paul. Verse 19, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of of the Spirit of Jesus. Here we have a bit of a, a change, a, a moving forward in the discussion. The Apostle Paul, he knows that what's coming up, the next thing, the, the next thing is going to be his salvation. 
a deliverance for him through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, and this is not a passing hope or just a, a mild hope. This is a sure confidence, uh, an absolute hope that nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. The Apostle Paul anticipates the next thing around the corner for me is salvation, either by life or by death. You might be tempted to think, well, he's anticipating being released, salvation, released from prison. But not according to the Apostle Paul. He says, my salvation will come even if it is by life or by death. Why? Because his salvation, what he's really, really longing for, what he's really interested in is, verse 20, it says, Christ shall be magnified. What matters most to the Apostle Paul is not his personal freedom. It is the magnification of Jesus Christ. And if being released, he can live to magnify Christ more, great. But if in his death, he magnifies Christ through a testimony of a, a well-run race, a faithfully run race, that's just as great. Verse 21, for, me, for to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I, Paul is saying, if I live to be released from prison, I go on serving Christ. If I die, that's really the gain. Entering into the presence of my Lord. The Lord Jesus, who I have entered into a personal relationship with. To be with him, to experience more deeply that fellowship with him. That is the gain. Being released, that's more opportunity to serve Christ. The real gain is to be with Christ in glory. Verse 22, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Hey, if I continue to live in the physical body, I'll continue to bear fruit laboring for Christ. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. But I, I, have, I don't know what I want to choose, because verse 23, for I am in a strait betwixt two. He's in a, a rock and a hard place. I don't know what to choose. Having a desire to depart, I'd rather die to be with Christ, which is far better to experience fully what it is, more fully what it is to know Christ, to be with Christ. Verse 24, nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he has this great longing to go to be with Christ, but to remain alive so he continue to minister to the Philippians, it's needful. So he's torn. He wants to be with Christ, but he wants to minister to the Philippians as well. Verse 25, And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ, Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. So something in Paul tells him the Philippians need him. His 
ministry may not be done. And so he's confident he will abide so that he can continue to help them to advance in their faith. So they could have joy in their faith. So they together can continue to advance the gospel. Verse 26, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again, potentially even coming to see you again, Philippians, and be with you in person. And so the Apostle Paul, he, he has a hope, a, a confidence of somewhat, but maybe I'll be able to be with you again. Verse 27, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So here he says, Philippians, let your conversation, that is your lifestyle, be fitting for the gospel of Christ. What is the gospel again? It's the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And if we will believe in what he has done and trust in him, we can have forgiveness of sins. We can be saved. And that's the good news. The good news is we, it, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't do anything to earn your favor with God. If, if getting to heaven was our good works, we would be able to boast. Salvation's not about us. It's about God. It's all about His glory, His grace. And when we receive God's grace, we are then able to truly do Good works. We talked about that in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Those are the only good works acceptable to God, the good works that Jesus produces through us. All other good works are tainted by human effort. But let your conversation, your lifestyle, be fitting to the gospel of Christ. If Christ has saved us, he's forgiven us of our sins, he's given us grace to overcome our sins, then fitting, we ought to live moving away from sin, closer to Christ. Advancing the gospel to others so that they could be free from their sin as well. And they could have that relationship with God personally as the Apostle Paul and as the Philippian believers. That whether I come and see you or else be absent. Here the Apostle Paul, again, it seems that he's not totally sure how the outcome of his trial will go. He may live, he may die. He may not be able to see them again. But regardless, whether or not he's able to come to them, he will hear of their affairs, that they stand fast in one spirit. They would stand fast. They would stand firm for the gospel in one spirit, that they'd have a spirit of unity, that their attitude would be fitting to the gospel, an attitude of love and cooperation and, and fervor for the work of the Lord, for the gospel. Stand fast in one spirit 
one attitude, unified attitude, with one mind, having a common goal, a common aim, focused on a singular aim, and that is, what does it say? Striving together for the faith of the gospel. And that is the action, striving together for the faith of the gospel, to live out the Christian life, and each of us working to help each other live out the Christian life, and helping each other to grow and to tell others about the gospel, to advance the gospel. If you haven't gotten it by now, the Apostle Paul was big on advancing the gospel. He was advancing the gospel in his prison cell. He was advancing the gospel by proxy. Others seeing his testimony and sharing the gospel, emboldened to share the gospel. He's advancing the gospel by potentially his death, being willing to die for Christ. And he's advancing the gospel by encouraging the Philippian believers to stand fast with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. The Philippians were facing adversaries just as the Apostle Paul. But he says, don't be afraid of your enemies. Don't be afraid of those that oppose the gospel. Uh, the Apostle Paul knew about that. He had been, people had tried to kill him time and time again for preaching the gospel. And he says, don't be afraid of your enemies. And, and this boldness, this lack of fear, it is an evident token of perdition. Hey, it is a evidence to your enemies, to those that oppose Christ. It's an evidence that there is coming judgment against them. You're bold because you're that certain that there is a day of reckoning that we will all stand before God and give an account. But to you of salvation, that lack of fear, that boldness we have, that confidence, that faith is an assurance of our salvation. We are sure in Jesus Christ. We're confident that there will be that day of salvation when we are all gathered together with the Lord. Verse 29, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And Pastor touched on this last week, but to follow Christ is not health and wealth. It's not a life of ease. In fact, the Bible talks more about the fact that Christians will suffer. They will endure trials. They will endure tribulation. We get to suffer along with Christ. What a privilege. Think back 2,000 years ago to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's arrested. They take him. They, they have a sham trial. They convict him. They begin to abuse him. They pluck out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They, they beat him. They mock him. They spit on him. They crucify him.
The suffering he endured, the, the physical suffering is one thing, but the mental, the emotional, from all the ridicule, people passing by, wagging their head at him. Others he saved, but he himself cannot save. All the while, when he totally could have come down from the cross, yet exercising godly self-control, staying on the cross, even saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He suffered. Brothers and sisters, we have a great privilege to know Christ more intimately through suffering, through persecution, to know His heart more deeply And when we can face that same persecution, that same suffering, with the same heart of forgiveness, empowered by Jesus, put it this way, go over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. Apostle Paul is saying, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law. And the Apostle Paul was a very righteous Jew. He was top tier. He was educated. He was zealous. But... Even the verse before, he says, I count all that loss, all my religiosity, all my good, goodness, I count it loss. Verse 9, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. He says, I don't want my own righteousness. It's not good enough. I want Jesus' righteousness. Because Jesus... Sinless, never sinned, total perfection. That's the only kind of perfection that's going to stand before God. He says, I want that righteousness. And then, verse 10, that I may know him. I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know him deeply. And how did God allow the Apostle Paul to know him deeply? I want to know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto death. How did the Apostle Paul develop such a keen, deep sense and relationship with Christ? Through a life of comfort? No. Through trial, through tribulation, through suffering. I was listening to an audiobook this week called Stealing from God by Frank Turek. And uh, if you're into apologetics, if you need some assistance uh, in apologetics, a great book to, to listen to. But one of the chapters, he talks about the, the problem of suffering and evil. Some people say, how can there be a God if there's evil in the world? You know, a good God, how, how could he allow evil? Um, but ironically, in order for an atheist to make the claim how can there be evil in the world? They have to claim that there is good. Uh, so 
if uh, the atheistic evolutionary worldview is accurate, then there is no such thing as good and evil because everything's an accident. Everything's a mistake. We're just here by random chance. So anyway, he's talking about the problem of evil. He told about a lady named Buff. She had a husband. They were in their 50s, and I believe he got cancer, and he passed away. It was a very difficult time of life for her, very challenging. I don't know if it was maybe a year after the event. She was asked a question about whether or not she would want her husband to come back if she had the opportunity. Maybe the question was, would your husband want to come back if he had the opportunity? And she said, no, I don't think so. Because I don't think he would want to deprive me of how close I grew to Jesus Christ because of that trial. You see, folks, we have such a misconception when it comes to suffering. Unfortunately, our world, our sinful nature, tells us that everything needs to be good and happy. Everything needs to, to make me comfortable. Everything is about me. And God allows trials and suffering into our life in the hopes that we would realize life is not all about us. Selfish, sinful natures take us down to death. They hurt relationships. They harm other people. We watched the video on brokenness. Our selfishness has destroyed the world. Look, we have a war going on in the Middle East because of selfish, sinful human natures. And if we're all honest, we all struggle with that same human condition. We're all humans here. And we all have that selfish streak. And God allows suffering into our lives in the hopes that we will turn to Him, rely on Him, depend on Him. And that's how we grow closer to Christ. I almost believe the worst enemy of the Christian is comfort. If you want comfort more than you want Christ, can you really call yourself a follower of Christ? You're more like a self-centered unbeliever if all you want is comfort. Verse 30. How can the Apostle Paul say this? This is pretty tough. Having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. Some of these very same Philippians that are, were reading this letter from the Apostle Paul, the Philippian jailer, maybe he was one of the ones that beat the Apostle Paul there in Philippi. The one that actually shackled him into his chains in the prison at Philippi. Doubtless the other believers there knew the story that the Apostle Paul, Paul and Silas, beaten and imprisoned in Philippi. They saw his suffering. 
The glorious conversion of the jailer, maybe the jailer, the one that beat him, was then the one to help wash his wounds, his beatings, as he, he a new life in Christ began to follow the same Jesus the Apostle Paul followed. How can Paul say suffering is the way to know Christ? Because he experienced it. He lived it. He saw it. He lived and breathed it. And through it all, all of the pain, all of the persecution, all of the suffering, what does he still live for? He lives for the advance of the gospel. Because there was a day when the Apostle Paul was walking down the road to Damascus. He was going to go persecute Christians. He was going to go put them in prison. He was going to go harm the name of Christ. And then he met Christ. Christ revealed himself to the Apostle Paul as God as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And the Apostle Paul, the religious, righteous man that he was in the eyes of the world, humbled himself and said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He took an about face. He's going the way the Apostle Paul wants to go, the way that his religion says to go. And he says, no, I'm going to go the way Jesus says to go. My righteousness can't get me back to God. It can't take me to heaven. Only Jesus Christ. I don't know where you are this morning. Have you turned to Jesus Christ? Have you ever acknowledged him? as your Savior. Just like the Apostle Paul, he stands before you this morning with open arms. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can stop laboring in your own self-righteousness, your own good deeds, because they will not earn you favor with God. <clears throat> Jesus has done the work for you. He simply wants you to rest in Him. And if you're willing to come to Him, He wants to make you into a good work so that you can leave your sin behind and go back into this broken world and give them the only answer that will fix all of their problems. And that answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ, for sending him, for the words of truth that he speaks. Father, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. Many in here do. We thank you for him and what he's done for us. But Father, we pray, would you help us 
as you help the Apostle Paul to advance the gospel, even if it means suffering. Father, may we say with the Apostle Paul that we want to know you in the power of your resurrection, in the fellowship of your suffering. Father, we want to know you more deeply. And as we know you more deeply, that will motivate us to go out into the world and advance the gospel. And Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, Father, we ask that you would reveal yourself to them just as you revealed yourself to the Apostle Paul. We'll continue to meditate, to pray for a moment before the pianist comes. Do you know Christ deeply? How deeply do you want to know Christ? If you don't know Christ, again, I encourage you. You can simply talk to God in your heart. He knows your thoughts. You can begin a relationship with Him today. If you will admit to Him that you have sinned, you have done wrong, you've offended His holy nature, His, his laws, You'll acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place. And you'll accept Jesus. You can have a home with Him in heaven. You can have that relationship just like the Apostle Paul had with Him. And you can simply talk to Him about that today. Believer, do you know Christ deeply? And are you, like the Apostle Paul, advancing the gospel? I'm afraid that the Apostle Paul from prison, for his zeal of advancing the gospel, probably puts some of us to shame. Who have honestly, much more capacity to share the gospel than he did. Are we advancing the gospel?